Welcome back to Stay Current Podcast. We have another great episode ahead for you. I'm Ellen and Cisco. I'm M. Tombash. And I'm Cecilia Hikina. And we're research fellows at Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center. As we've talked about before in our work for Cincinnati Children's Hospital, we like to keep you all up to date with some of the latest articles, some of the latest updates. And in this podcast, what are we doing, M? We review important articles from the Journal of Pediatric Surgery, as chosen by the JPS editors. Exactly. This time we're reviewing three articles from the last quarter of 2022, from October, November, and December of 2022. If you're in the State Current app, you can see the links below and read the articles for yourself. Awesome. So we have three articles today, like I said. One is about biliary atresia. One is about the POEM procedure for pediatric achalasia, and one is about umbilical hernias in gastroschisis patients. So let's get started with the first one. Cecilia, you're up. Great. So first we have primary versus salvage liver transplantation for biliary atresia, a retrospective study. And this is a retrospective study from Children's Hospital in Colorado, and their aim was to compare outcomes of pediatric candidates with biliary atresia listed for primary versus salvage liver transplantation. And for this, we talked to one of the authors, Dr. Do Yoeli. I am a general surgery resident at the University of Colorado. And also the editor that chose this article. I'm Mikko Pakarinen, and I'm a professor of pediatric surgery from Helsinki, Finland. And okay. First, Ellen, do you want to explain the audience what a primary liver transplant means? Yeah, so primary liver transplant means that they had a liver transplant as their initial surgery rather than a Kasai procedure initially. Okay, and salvage transplantation means the one that comes after a Kasai. And then we further subclassified patients um, who underwent a Kasai as early failure. Um, if they required transplant within the first year of life, and then as late failure, if they underwent transplant or were listed for transplant after the first year of life, which is an important distinction. So what they found is that they have 3,438 patients with biliary atresia that were listed for transplant. Of them, 15% got a primary transplantation, 68% actually had a salvage transplant with early Kasai failure, and then 17% had late failure, um, so we're older than one year of age. And again, that was Dr. Doyo Eli, the first author of this paper. And what they found is that the ones that got late salvage transplantations um, are right better for the transplant. They have like lower bilirubin rates, and less melpilled scores, and so they were like less ill. So the interesting and notable is that the waiting list survival was significantly higher in those patients who underwent uh, late salvage uh, liver transplantation, whereas the overall survival was similar in all three groups, but the graft survival was superior in those with late salvage transplantation. And that was Dr. Miko Pekarinen. He was the editor who helped us choose this art, this particular article. So what do these findings mean? What do they tell us? The conclusion is that they still recommend doing CASI prior to uh, liver transplantation in patients with biliary atresia. Like- Got it. This is huge. This is a great paper. So 
Um, the only question I have is what makes a child get an early or a late salvage? And that was Dr. Todd Ponsky. Um, right now, we don't have great tools for distinguishing who's going to have early failure and who has late failure. And we'd argue that undergoing Kasai, our data shows, doesn't burn any bridges. It didn't, it wasn't associated with worse uh, waiting list survival or worse uh, post-transplant survival. So the key point here is that the primary liver transplants did not do any better than the salvage patients. So there's really no reason to not at least first try a Kasai. All right, M, you're next with, and this is our article from November, 2022. Our next article is Pyroral Endoscopic Myotomy or POEM for Pediatric Achalasia, Institutional Experience and Outcomes. And this article is from Children's National Hospital uh, by Dr. Petrosian et al. My name is Michael Petrosian. I'm one of the attending surgeons at Children's National Hospital. I am also program director for our fellowship training. I'm also vice chief of general surgery, pediatric surgery, so to speak, at Children's National Hospital. And this is a retrospective review of uh, all patients who underwent repair for pediatric achalasia from July 2015 to September 2021. In this period, they had 43 patients and um, these patients have gone through 46 different procedures. Wait, why are there more surgeries than there are patients? Yeah, that's that's good. That's a good question. Because uh, some of the patients had to have reoperations after either myotomy or poems to, to better their prognosis. And what they find? Out of this uh, 46 surgeries, 37 of them was poems and 33 of them was primary poems. And um, out of nine laparoscopic Heller myotomies, uh, four of them was the primary surgeries. And they, they saw that interoperative complications is um, more than the, the myotomy surgeries, but the complication rate uh, decreased over the time when they, uh, when they improved their poem technique. And even though they have complications, as I mentioned, they didn't need additional operations for them. So the big thing I've seen is after either a pop, which is the, the gastric poem for gastroparesis, or a, a esophageal poem, both of them, you get sometimes air, extra luminal air after the procedure, either peritoneal air or pleural air. And it's when I first saw that, it freaked me out. But it seems like it's not, it's inert, like it's not a problem which is what they showed here. And that was Dr. Toponsky. Dr. Petrosian told us about some of the most important modifications they made to the procedure over the years that improved some of their complication rates. We used to put uh, oral intubation, but now we switched to nasal intubation. That allows us to access the mouth easily on a child. We stopped using the um, oxygen for encephalation. We now use CO2 for encephalation. We now pre-op patients much earlier because some kids that came to us with overnight MPO had food impacted in the esophagus. Um, and we switched to machines, which is a, a little bit more detailed granular. We use Irby machine, which is basically, uh, it injects the fluid and it also cuts. The, it's a challenging procedure. It requires 
a significant number of uh, times to be to be able to to do the procedure to be able to feel comfortable. As Dr. Petrosian told, this is a challenging procedure. So for that, he's developing a training course. So there's now two of us are doing this procedure, and I've decided that I'm going to create a course that's going to be sort of an online sort of showing how to do the procedure. And uh, we're in the middle of developing that course. So yes, it's in works. It's hopefully going to be up and running next year. What's interesting and great about this paper, I don't think poems are commonly done in pediatric patients yet. And it sounds like Children's National is one of the first hospitals doing them frequently. And so this is a very informative review from you know one of the hospitals that has the most experience with this. Last article. This one is from December. Uh, Dr. Whitholcomb helped us choose this article. And it's called Evaluating the Risk of Peri-Umbilical Hernia After Sutured or Sutureless Gastroschisis Closure. This is a study from the Midwest Pediatric Surgery Consortium. We've discussed some of their papers before. It's a consortium of 11 hospitals in the Midwest. And this was a long-term follow-up of patients they'd studied with gastroschisis gastroschisis, looking at the different types um, and timing of, of closure and their outcomes. Yeah. So I think some of the most important things that, to, to think about, you know, it's, it's a cohort of about almost 400 patients uh, and we had follow-up on a, a good number of them, uh, well over 300. Uh, that was Dr. Jason Frazier. He was the lead author on the paper and is a pediatric surgeon at Children's Mercy Kansas City and the program director for the Pediatric Surgery Fellowship there. And the the treatment of gastroschisis has really changed. And I bet you if we did the same cohort on the now versus when this was from 2013 to 2016, it, it management would probably change. Um, but still people use a lot of uh, silos. And, you know, and that was really one of the things we wanted to see is did silo use change the, the rate of, of hernia? So they broke it down into multiple different groups or comparisons. So first, they divide the patients into uncomplicated versus complex gastroschisis. When we consider them complicated, is they required a bowel section? Complex gastroschisis included patients with intestinal atresia, perforation, necrotic segments, or volvulus. Oh, I see, yeah. Then within those groups, you can break it apart into primary versus silo-assisted closure. Within those groups, you can break it up into sutured versus sutureless closure. And what did they find? The main findings here are that sutureless closure was associated with higher rates of periumbilical hernia and higher rates of periumbilical hernia in patients with uncomplicated gastroschisis who underwent primary closure. And although these patients had higher rates of hernia, they did not require more operations to fix the hernias. Especially in the United States and in our consortium population, silo-assisted closure is the most common thing that, that people do. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we found that there was a little bit lower rate of uh, periumbilical hernia in those patients, uh, most likely probably because of uh, the, the slower reduction of the abdominal contents and then decreased abdominal pressure uh, that's associated with the, with the silo use. Having said that, probably clinically, that might not be uh, truly uh, you know, important because uh, the long-term uh, effects of this is, is probably most of these patients do well without ever having to have these repaired or at least having to have them repaired within the neonatal period. I yeah. think that's super interesting. Like, um, although you have more 
local hernias, they close as uh, any umbilical hernia that usually close by itself. So that's cool. Okay, so that's the big takeaway. The big takeaway is the rate of umbilical hernia repair is not higher with sutureless closure. Great, that was a set of three great articles. To summarize, first we heard about biliary atresia, um, looking at comparing primary transplantation to patients undergoing salvage, either early or late transplantation, saying that it's still worthwhile to do a Kasai first, according to their study. Then we looked at the POEM procedure for pediatric achalasia, looked at a review of the patients done at one of the larger centers doing this procedure for, for children, um, finding encouraging outcomes. And finally, looking at long-term outcomes for patients with umbilical hernias after gastroschisis closure and finding that even though there might be a higher rate of umbilical hernia in some of these groups, they typically still spontaneously close and don't need more operations. Great. Awesome. Awesome. Three articles. I think they're super interesting for um, everyday surgeon. I believe these articles are um, helpful for uh, clinicians to just uh, review their practice and uh, maybe try new things if uh, if they if there's something better out there for their patients. Awesome. Well, as always, let us know what you think. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, like this video. Uh, leave a comment if you like or don't like anything about this podcast. Don't forget to, to follow us on social media and. Uh, read the articles alongside with us. And download the Stay Current app. Yes, download the Stay Current in Pediatric Surgery app. We've been doing this particular journal review podcast for the last year and a half. If you want to hear about the past articles we've reviewed, take a look in the in the app. I'm Ellen and Cisco. And I'm M. Tombash. And I'm Cecilia Hikina. And this is the Stay Current podcast. Mm-hmm.